everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. I'm glad that you're joining me today. We're going to finish up our series on reconstruction. Thank God, you say. I get it. I know. It's been a long series. Eight episodes, in fact. And I hope I've answered some questions. I'm not so naive as to think I've solved everybody's problems. I might have even created a few, although that was not my intention. But today, I'm going to bring it all full circle back to community again. We're going to talk about church. We're going to talk about the need for a healthy community. And we're going to talk about the lies we tell ourselves that inhibit our healing and our reconstruction. On this episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast, coming to you in just one moment. Hold tight. Okay, so episode number eight. I am trying to keep straight everything that I'm talking about. I've been in the middle of an incredibly powerful, and that sounds hubristic, but incredibly powerful series in our church on forgiveness. I think I've gotten more feedback from this series than any recent series that I've done. I've gotten text messages and phone calls and I've really, I think we've really helped some people and there is some overlap in that series with this podcast series and some of the other things that I'm doing. I spend a lot of time in front of a camera or a microphone. I'm either preaching in the church or I'm pre-recording our messages for our Sunday services or I'm doing this podcast. And so I, I spend a lot of time doing it. And sometimes I sit down in front of the microphone and I feel like just exactly what is it that I'm doing today? What am I going to talk about today? And then I'm driving down the road and I get these ideas. I'm like, wait, is that a sermon? Is that pre-recorded? Is that podcast? Like, what is the deal? But I love it. I love doing it. I love imagining that you are listening right now as, not as I'm recording because this isn't going live, but what you're hearing right now as I'm talking into this microphone, I'm imagining you listening to it on your in your earbuds, on your car speaker, uh, maybe around the house, on your iPad or your computer, whatever the case is, I'm really, really glad that you're listening. And I hope that this has been helpful to you. Please let me know if there are questions that you have or an area that I didn't address that you need help with. More than anything else, I want to help you find your way back to a solid footing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just simply don't believe that that footing is going to be found walking away from the faith. I get that that there's a lot of hurt out there, but I want you to know that it is my belief that in relationship with Jesus Christ and in a relationship with the community of believers is exactly where we're supposed to be. And it's not that most of you don't understand that, but I do think that there are lies that we tell ourselves or lies that are told to us that we then pick up and run with and we believe them. And those lies inhibit our recovery. I want you to understand if you don't already, that we're in the middle of a societal phenomenon in which there is virtue in being a victim. Virtue in being someone who is 
disabled or someone who has trauma. And because trauma has become a virtue in and of itself, people are creating trauma, which only makes the problem worse because there are people who have experienced real trauma. And then there are people who just, who say every time someone says something mean to me, that's spiritual abuse or emotional abuse. And, and we're just elevating this uh, more. And I don't know where the end of all this is, except I'm afraid it's heading for a crash and burn. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, which most of you, if not all of you are, we believe in a Christ who heals. I tell people all the time, Jesus Christ is not in the habit of handing out handicap placards. He either heals or he gives grace and strength to make up for the deficit so that it's better than if you were healed. I mean, the grace that Christ gave to the Apostle Paul, which oh, I don't have time to get off into that, but using the Apostle Paul's testimony as a reason why you're not healed, it, it's just it's problematic. But let's just leave it at, with that for the moment. The grace that the Apostle Paul received from God when he was denied his request of removing the thorn in the flesh that grace and that power of Christ was so awesome and so amazing that it actually made Paul glad for the infirmity. Now, that means that the Apostle Paul wasn't walking around with that limp or like a crutch. For many people, you know, well, God isn't going to take this away from you, but he'll give you grace to bear it. And then you're walking around on crutches all the time. So I believe that God is in the, is in, is in the business of healing. And where he doesn't heal, he gives grace to overcome. I'm specifically talking now not about physical maladies, but about the emotional and mental and spiritual um, injuries and wounds that we experience. And I want you to remember that he wants to heal you. And I want you to remember back to a time when you were happy in the service of the Lord in the community of believers. And I want you to reach back and then step forward. Now, there are several things that inhibit our return to spiritual health. I think one of the primary things that hinders it and what our end goal should be is, first, the thing that inhibits it is the belief that, that church is the problem or that we don't need a community of believers. And the end goal that we should reach for is full integration back into a community of believers. But that is often hindered by some lies that I'm going to go through here with you today. And I'm going to, be, I'm going to try to be compassionate, but I'm also just going to be very, very uh, straightforward with you. Because you can find a dozen other people to commiserate with you. But I really do want to help you. The first lie, and these are in no particular order, but the first lie that we tell ourselves and that is also told to us is that we're better off alone. I'm better off alone. Now, those that walk away from Jesus Christ and the faith altogether will just say, I'm better off without Christians. I'm better off without God. I'm better off alone. But we understand societally that no one is better off alone. You don't even need to be a Christian to understand that. 
We have just seen a demonstration in the last several years that isolation kills. It destroys health. It destroys mental and emotional well-being. There are physical consequences to being in isolation. Um, If you've ever watched any of those programs, which you'd have to be a weirdo to watch, but I'm a weirdo, so I watch them. The programs about what life is like behind bars, one of the things that you find out is that one of the places prisoners avoid going at all costs if they're emotionally healthy is isolation or segregation. Because being locked in a room by yourself without the benefit of human interaction for 23 out of 24 hours a day, day after day after day, is emotionally devastating. So that many prisoners would rather take the risk of the stresses of the general population than to be locked in an isolation room. And I know some of you can feel so overwhelmed, and I'm right there with you sometimes. I'm like, put me in isolation for a few days, coach. Like, it sounds good for a few days, but eventually we're going to want to have interaction with people. And even if we're not ready for one-on-one interaction, we want to be around people. You know, some of the most um, hopeless, uh, uh, there's a couple of variations of it that have been made throughout the years, but the idea of the last man on earth and what it's like when you're going uh, going through the world and everyone else has died and you're the only person living. It turns out there's actually very little purpose in life in that case, even though you can do whatever you want. Because Christian or not, we understand the need for community. But Christians above all people should understand the need for community. I get that the pain that you went through and the, and the discouragement or the disillusionment that you went through was difficult, but you are not better off alone. Maybe you can keep yourself from being hurt again, but it turns out there are worse things than exposing yourself to the risk of being hurt. That actually life, is, life with others is worth the risk of being hurt. I know that sounds hard to say that, but life with others is worth the risk. I believe going to church is worth the risk that I'm going to run into a knucklehead at church. Maybe one of the things that's made this this even easier for people to walk away is the, the massive amounts of churches that we have to choose from. And while I think that it, sometimes it might be better if you just had the one church to go to, And you had to figure out how to do it. But certainly with the multiplicity of churches, the plethora or plethora, depending upon which side of the northern border you live on, um, the, the sheer magnitude of the numbers of congregations of believers that exist means we literally don't have an excuse not to seek to join up with a community of believers. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I think that your identity is found in that community, not outside of it. Your identity as an individual is as a part of the body, not as the body in entirety. You are not better off alone. That's a lie that we tell ourselves and a lie that the enemy tells us. Now, maybe you can't go back to the church because of memories and things that you have to deal with. You can't go back to the church that where, that where, where that event happened, but you could go somewhere and you should. 
Do not fall for the lie that I'm better off alone. You're just not. We need community. Several things we gain when we have a community. I put a post out about this on my, um, on my business page, on my coaching page, that several of the things we gain when we gain a community is, the, is we gain perspective. Again, this is really frustrating when trying to talk to people in the community and on social media these days. Everybody is so sure that they have a right to just say whatever they want to say, and you cannot um, contradict me. You cannot uh, show me where my, my flaws are because, you know, and even Christians who they wouldn't say it this way, but essentially by their actions, they're saying it's my truth. Live your truth. And, and while we recognize as Christians that that's not a correct way to live, many of us are, you know, practically speaking, living our truth. But in a community, we gain perspective. You see, if you're a part of a community, you need, then you'll have other people to show you where you might be short-sighted. It's impossible, I think, for someone who is experiencing pain or emotional distress to accurately assess what it is that's happening to them and their responses to it. But in a community, we can gain perspective. In this series on forgiveness that I've been doing at our church, this is one of the things that I told them, that sometimes there are people who are waiting for an apology from another group of people, when in actuality, the person waiting for the apology is the one who needs to do the apologizing. Has that ever happened to you? Where somebody says you need to apologize, but they're actually the one who did the thing? Well, how does that get resolved? Well, in the Bible, it gets resolved through the, through the community of believers, through spiritual authority and brothers and sisters in Christ who can come alongside of us and intermediate or mediate rather and help us to see where we may be wrong or something that we're overlooking. Sometimes we get angry at someone because, um, well, j- just the other day, I was very angry at, or frustrated, I was angry at one of my kids, and I kind of vented to my wife, who lovingly, but firmly, uh, because my wife sees things in black and white, gave me another perspective that let me see things in a different way than I had been seeing them because of my emotional response, and I realized I was overreacting. That's, an, that's an how community works. We gain perspective. And some of you are not ever going to heal. And I hope healing is your goal. But you're never going to heal isolated from the community, especially from the community of believers. There need to be people who can speak into your life. And I'll get more about that later. But another thing we gain from community is we gain protection. We gain perspective. We gain protection. Again, who is it that benefits most by isolating you from the herd, from the flock? It's our enemy. Predators desire to isolate you from the flock. So there is, there's a reason that safety in numbers is a proverb that has lasted for thousands of years, I guess, however long it's lasted for. Safety in numbers. Because, um, because... The community provides protection. I just had an errant thought go through my head and it wiped out the thought that I had in my mind. But anyway, um, I wish I had time to write, to write that down. But 
Let's let me go to the to the lie number two. Lie number two that we believe when we're seeking to deconstruct and that keeps us from reconstructing is that the institution is to blame. Viktor Frankl was a a prisoner in the concentration camps. He was in several of them, including the famous Auschwitz. And Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He's not writing it from a Christian perspective, and I wouldn't suggest reading it right before you go to bed, but it's worth reading. One of the interesting things he, he said at the end of part one, as he's telling stories about the prison camps, is a discovery he made was that there are good people and there are bad people in every group. And so there were, for example, the... Um, some of the prisoners who were made, I forget what the word is, but they were basically made deputies in, in the prison camps. They were Jewish prisoners who had a personality that lent itself towards cruelty and meanness and sadistic behavior. And the prison guards and made them kind of like trustees over the camp, the capos, that's what it is, capos, that's what they called them. And Viktor Frankl said many times the capos were more brutal and cruel than the, prison, than the Nazi prison guards, Jew-on-Jew Jew violence in the prison camps. And he said, and then there were other times when there were both commandants of the camps and prison guards who showed incredible humanity and compassion when they had every um, permission to be cruel. And he said, you know, in every group, even the worst of groups, there are the best of men. And in the best of groups can be the worst of men. And I can't think of anything that rings more true in my heart than that. It is not the institution of the body of Christ that is the problem. But within the body of Christ, there are bad people. But there are also many good ones. We want to reject the bad people, not the institution itself. So, it's a mistake to walk away from the church in the body of believers. By all means, walk away from someone who is abusive. But don't walk away from the church. The church is not the problem. People are the problem. And I know the church is people, but not all the people. Again, to paraphrase Viktor Frankl, in the worst of groups are some of the best of humankind, and in the best of groups are some of the worst of humankind. So there are good and bad in each group. I would say to you that there are good and bad in each denomination. There are there are bad people in the independent fundamental King James only him singing skirt wearing um high and tight haircut uh, no facial hair uh, uh uh denomination. There are good men and women in there who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who have given their life to be compassionate and to serve. And even those of you who have been hurt by independent Baptist churches, if you think about it, you, 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 might, you can think back to a Sunday school teacher or you can think back to a deacon or the candy lady who sat in the front row and handed out candy, someone who loved you, someone who loved people. Don't let the bad people convince you that all people are bad. And don't let a few bad people in an organization 
cause you to believe the lie that it is the organization itself that is wrong. Now, sometimes organizations need to be remodeled and redone and reworked and rebuilt. And sometimes organizations need to be demolished in their structure. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ does not need to be demolished. There were false prophets among them, even as there will be among you, the Apostle Paul said. He said, I know after my departure, grievous wolves will come in. There will always be bad people in a good group. Don't let the bad people sour you on the group. Line number three, and this is a big one. I don't exactly know how to put this into words, except maybe I'll put it this way. You can't help me if you don't know how I feel. I was talking to a good friend of mine about this, who I shall remain, I shall allow to remain nameless because I didn't get his permission to talk about his name. But I, I was talking to a good friend of mine and we were speaking about this, that it is incredibly difficult to help people these days, especially the more this trauma, um, uh, this trauma train is running and the more, the more uh, passengers there are on it, the more that trauma becomes an identity and it becomes really a virtue and the most, and if you want to be valuable, then you make yourself in this valued group. And so you just have to find a way to get yourself a, a trauma card and you're good to go. And you try to help some of these people and immediately they want to know, have you been hurt like I've been hurt? And if you don't know what I've been through, then you can't help me. Loved ones, please listen to me. That is a lie that you're telling yourself. It has never been the case that experience was synonymous with expertise or that commiseration was edification. It is not a requirement or a prerequisite that a cancer doctor must first have had cancer. Because in order to be, for that to be the case, not only would he have had to have had cancer, but he would have had to have had every type of cancer that any patient of his ever had to the degree that they had it and for as long as they had it with the outcome that they may have. And we would say, well, then there wouldn't be any doctors. And you'd be correct. It would be the same as saying that a counselor needs to have experienced every trauma of their patient in order to be able to help their patient. That's not true. What they need to understand is not how the trauma or the disease is making the patient feel, but what they need to understand is the trauma itself and the disease and how the disease operates so that they can help their patient. Truth is the antidote for trauma and for suffering and for difficulties. A person only needs a good grasp of truth. It is not necessary that someone understands how you feel. And this is why many people want to walk away from the church and go, well, Christians don't know how I feel. Like I've been through something really hard and nobody understands it. And listen, that's exactly right. Nobody will ever understand it. If you could find, let me say for example, let's see for, for, let me give you an illustration. Let's say that I lost my right arm. That should be something that nobody listening has experienced. Let's say that I lost my right arm and then 
I had people who tried to come along and help me learn how to live my life because I was just in the mully grubs and, you know, I can't do anything. I lost my arm. I'm less of a person now. I don't have my right arm. And I was a right-armed guy and I'm not left-handed. And every time someone tried to help me, I said, if you have both your arms, you can't speak to me because you don't know what it's like not to have two arms, which is exactly what people say today about their trauma. But let's say, for example, that I found somebody that also had lost their right arm. Even then, they wouldn't be able to help me by my standard unless they had lost their arm at the exact same age I had in the exact same way and experienced the exact amount of pain and lost exactly what I'd lost. But that would mean that they would have had to use their right arm in exactly the same way and for exactly the same things that I did, gotten the same amount of enjoyment out of those things. So a person who used their right arm as an artist wouldn't be able to help me if I used my right arm as a baseball player because it's not the same. So this this idea is self-defeating and it absolutely is destructive and we are not allowing people to help us on the basis that no, I I get so heartbroken and, and sick to my stomach at hearing people say, you can't help me because you don't know how I feel. They don't need to know how you feel in order to help you. All they need to know is truth that can be brought to bear on your situation. You see? And another, another aspect to this is, well, I'm just going to go find a group of people who also feel similar to me. So you have cancer survivor groups, you have um, domestic uh, abuse survivor uh, groups, you have Alcoholics Anonymous and so on and so forth. And those, those groups, I guess, are fine in, in and as far as they go. But again, remember this, experience does not equal expertise. I have listened to people who, have, who know how to do something or have done something that are not good at all at explaining it. Or helping you to be able to do it. Just because someone goes through an experience doesn't mean they're able to help you. So we say, well, you know, based on what I've experienced in my life, I should be able to help people. Not necessarily. Not unless you yourself have gotten help. And just because you've gone through something doesn't make you able to help someone else go through it. It doesn't mean it doesn't it also doesn't mean you won't be able to help someone else, but your experience doesn't make you an expert. You see, so pastors, please take heart from this. Don't take don't take to heart the pushback that hurting people give you that you can't help me because you don't know what I've been through. You don't have any kids, so you have nothing to say about child rearing. You've never lost a spouse, so you have nothing to say about death. You've never had cancer, so you have nothing to say about about disease and trusting the Lord. None of those things matter. Listen to me carefully, loved ones. God himself does not know how you feel in every case. Again, Christians want to say this, that God knows how you feel. God knows how you feel. You know, it wasn't until about 2,000 years ago when God became flesh that God, for the first time in the person of Jesus Christ, gained the experiential knowledge of what it felt like to be hungry. If God is a spirit, and I don't know if spirits eat things, we know angels have food, but I don't know if spiritual beings eat things. Presumably they do, but even if they don't, maybe God never eats anything. 
The point is God had never experienced what it was like to be hungry with a physical stomach until Jesus Christ came into the world and became flesh. God learned something that day. But Jesus didn't experience, yes, he was tempted in all, in all points or in all categories, in all the categories of life, Jesus was tempted, but he did not have all the things done to him that, that happened. Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be married, to love someone for 60 years and to have them die because that what he's never experienced that he may know intellectually what that is he may know informationally what that is but he doesn't know it experientially as far as we know jesus never had anything vile done to him um, of a sexual nature so he doesn't understand that he knows you're hurting he sees your pain but he doesn't even jesus himself can't help us if we're going to tell people you can't help me unless you know how i feel and so I'm, I'm for you finding a group of people who have been through what you're going through. But if those group of people are not dedicated to healing and moving forward in life and learning how to regain the joy and the meaning of life that was taken from you, then that group is not healthy. Because as I said, um, commiseration is not edification. I know it feels good to sit around and talk about the abuse that happened to you at church with other people who had abuse happen to them at church. But how much good is coming out of that other than it feels good for a moment and then it's like a guilty pleasure later you feel worse. We need people that can come along who love us and who regardless of whether they've experienced what we've experienced can bring perspective and truth to bear and to help us find uh, some some way to live now for everyone who says you can't help me because you don't know how i feel if i said well no i've experienced loss then immediately someone who doesn't want to be helped will say well my loss was greater than your loss therefore you can't help me because you haven't experienced loss to the extent that i have at which point I would respond, if I could find someone whose loss exceeds yours and they have found their way back to a healthy, happy way of living, would you listen to them? The answer is probably no, because at the bottom of it, many of us don't want to be healed. All we want is the attention that we get from being a victim and walking around with a gaping wound. So you don't need a, a community of people like you. You need a community of people who love you. And the last lie we tell ourselves is that people just need to give me unlimited space. The Apostle Paul said that God comforts us in all, of, in all our distress so that we are able to comfort others by the same com who are in any distress, by the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That verse right there tells us that someone doesn't have to have gone through what you've gone through. They just know, have to know what it's like to go through a tough time. And everybody knows what it's like to go through a tough time if they've lived long enough. And it's the comfort of God. But what exactly is the comfort of God? What does that produce? Well, the comfort of God is intended for us to be able to um, function and to move forward and to regain health comfort of god in essence is healing god comforts us and he comes along and strengthens us so the last lie that we often tell ourselves is that i can stay wounded for as long as i need to stay wounded 
Again, this only works in the emotional trauma uh, arena. You can't go to, if you go to your doctor and you say, listen, I can stay sick as long as I want to stay sick and you're wrong for trying to get me not to feel sick before I'm ready to stop feeling sick. Your doctor is going to say, you're right, you can do that, but it's unhealthy and that's not what I'm here for. It is, it is both self-centered and destructive, self-destructive for us to demand that people just continue to come alongside of us and comfort us and, and, and just be there just to let us, just to let us bleed all over the place. As long as we need. No, loved ones, there comes a time when someone needs to say to you, you know, I've been giving you space and I've been seeing you hurt, but I think it's time now for you to find your way back. What right do they have to say that? They don't know what I'm going... Right. Because that's what community does. That's what people who love you do. As I said in a previous episode, sooner or later, this pendulum swing that towards trauma and trauma sensitivity is going to swing in our, in our society, and people are going to get tired of constantly having to walk around on tiptoe or handle people with kid gloves just because they can lay claim to some kind of trauma. And loved ones, we are believers in Jesus Christ. We are believers in a God who heals. We are believers in a God who restores. We are believers in a God who bears fruit in our lives of joy unspeakable and peace and love and comfort, not a God who desires for us to walk around broken and bloodied and bleeding all over the place and angry at everybody and holding everybody at arm's length and claiming a relationship with Christ while despising his body and all of these things. Loved ones, the enemy lies and some of us are believing those lies. And I know this is harsh, but I just want to at this last episode challenge you as strongly as I know how It's time. It's time for you to recognize that what happened to you is not the end of your life. That you're not better off alone. That there are people can help you, that there are people who can help you that don't even know what you've been through. They don't need to. And that your suffering and trauma doesn't make you unique. And that in every good group, there are bad people. Look for the good people. Be one of those good people. Well, I could go on and on and on on this topic. I don't even know if anybody's still listening, but if you are, I'm here to help you. If you want to move forward, I can help you. I know that I can. I would be happy to talk with you. We could talk on Zoom. We could talk on the phone. We could talk through email. I know something about being hurt. I know something about experiencing loss. And you may have exceeded me in, in sorrow. Or I may have exceeded you. It doesn't matter. I can help you. If you want help, and you want to grow, and you want to be healed, think about it. And then reach out thispoorpastor at gmail.com or text me at 910-265-7297 and I will help you. That offer is open. All you have to do is call. Well, looks like we're out of time. Can I pray for you and will you 
leave the podcast running while I pray. Will you just join me in prayer as we ask God to help us? Heavenly Father, you are amazing. I love you. I'm so grateful for the platform. I'm grateful for the technology that allows me to put this information out there, put my voice out there to help whoever. I don't even know who's listening right now, but you do, Lord. And I am grateful for the joy that you bring into lives that were broken. I am grateful that you heal. I am grateful for all that you do. And I know that there is coming a day when all injustice will be dealt with, when all wickedness will be done away with, when all darkness will turn to light, and it will be amazing. And we can experience part of that even now. And I'm praying that you would reclaim the life of someone listening. Pull them out of the miry clay. Set their feet on a rock. Establish their going. You are our God. I pray that for them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening. I'll be back next week, Lord willing, with another episode of this Poor Pastors podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.